0: Hello and welcome to Sporting Directors Corner here on Get Football Plus, where we aim to look at football in the context of Sporting Directors, delve a bit deeper into this multifaceted role and its impacts within football across the globe. My name is Shailash, I'm the CEO at Get Football Group and as always I'll be joined by my friend David. How are you today David?
1: I'm doing well Shaylash. how are you?
0: Yes, very good, very good. Um, we're going to talk today actually about you know, curriculum, bit of youth loans, and we're gonna we're gonna focus in on on Michael Lemonello, who was um, a technical director at Chelsea Football Club, a pioneering one to say, achieved much success, and we're gonna try to link that together with with the theme of curriculum and workflow. Before we do that, if you haven't heard our episode from last time, that was uh, with about Andrea Schicker, and we were looking at fit and alignment. And our aim every week is to kind of delve deeper into different themes um, and actually link them into sporting directors that, you know, we feel fit those well. And yeah, so let's start off today. I mean, with what the title of Michael Emmanuel was, he was known as the technical director, right? So he joined Chelsea in 2007 as a chief scout. He then went on to become assistant first team coach to Carlo Antonotti. And then he became a technical director. Now we talk about sporting directors. I'm sure you get asked this all the time, David, but what's the difference? I mean, there's so many different names for this role. I mean, is it semantics or is there something more in, in, involved than that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I feel it's more semantics. It's like the difference between calling a number nine, a number nine, a striker or a center forward. However you want to define it is really more of a club or a federation um, question, more so than anything else, because the sporting director at um say uh brentford is different his roles are different than the sporting director for uh seville like sevilla is or inter um, milan or um uh bayern munich if i can get it out right those are three or four completely different clubs where there's different infrastructures to those those clubs and if you zoom out whether it's a Uh, more developmental-focused league with uh, cultural development input into the framework of the club, so like the Netherlands and Germany, they're going to have more of a technical director um, emphasis as far as label, right? But then when you step into, say, Italy, Spain, maybe even sometimes Portugal, depending on on the level of the club, they're going to have more of a sporting director because culturally it sounds, it, it has a different weight um director of football is used as well too so as you can see like there's just there's three or four titles that can be thrown around but it really is a club specific question the, the the question it should be more along the lines of okay what does the sporting director at chelsea do compared to the technical director at say benfica right it, it, it's a resources and an actual job functions um question more so than a a title or a label distinction.
0: No, I understand. It makes sense. Obviously, there's always context re- regarding the, the club you're at and the different roles and responsibilities. Um, now we look. We're looking at we're looking at Michael Eminello today. I guess from a bygone era. You know, Chelsea with their takeover. You know, and what they're doing today. We'll link it back later on in the episode. But when we talk about Michael Eminello and curriculum. Can you explain what, what you mean there, David? What, what are we talking about?
1: Yes, definitely. So if you look at the thread that I shared, uh, I think it was the beginning part of this month, one of the things that Michael Emanello was uh, very good at, um, it's why he ascended to his role as technical director at Chelsea, is identifying talent. And what he was able to see is, quite frankly, Chelsea um, at the time, so what? mid 2000s is when he was a scout uh first team scout and all that uh there was a lot of talent in their youth setup a lot of talent but at the same time it's chelsea roman abramovich champions league premier league you're fighting at a high level every single season for at least three trophies Um, however when I talk about directors, sporting directors, technical directors, directors of football, the, the element that is unseen but it's heavy and most fan supporters don't like it is that there's always a financial element to these decisions. And it's a whole lot more expensive and costly to buy talent, buy ready-made talent than to develop talent. And also when you have a, an owner of the, the magnitude of Roman Abramovich, you know, for, let's just say, Respectfully, pride reasons they want to be at the top of every table. Period. So what Emanella was forced with was okay, but how do we sustain that? And, you know, you're not always going to have Didier Drogba and Salomon Kalu, or Kalu, excuse me, Nicolas Anelka. You're not always going to have Frank Lampard. Um, you're not always going to have Jose Mourinho as manager. How do we sustain the talent? Uh, and that talent is sustained by using the youth academy as the main conduit, the main pathway to the first team. His main remit to Roman was to get talent into the team, into the first team, excuse me. However, he saw very clearly that the key is to get the talent sooner, faster than other people and get them into Chelsea's setup. And if you look at any of the, wow, Probably 200 plus threads I've done on directors, that is a theme. How do we get talent sooner? How do we get them in our setup sooner? Because if you can control their development, if you can control that curriculum, as far as what are the benchmarks, what benchmarks do we have for Mason Mount? If you can know that when he's 12, you will know if he can be a first team player by the time he's 16, 17. Obviously, I'm making up those numbers for the sake of illustration but you have to have that protocol in place prior to you getting talents, um, to, to profiles coming into the club. And Emanella was instrumental in overlaying that philosophy, that workflow into Chelsea during his tenure.
0: Yeah, it's it's, it's really interesting, actually, because when, when I look back at what Michael Eminello did, A, many people probably won't even know his name, actually, right? Because when you think about Chelsea, you always think about the owner and the manager, but Emanello was there for 10 years. 10 managers went through Chelsea in that period. Yeah. They they managed to win Champions Leagues, Europa Leagues, Premier League titles, yet probably become well-known for their youth setup and their loan infrastructure. And he obviously was instrumental in all of that. Um, You know, we talk about some of the names, right? That came through Kevin De Bruyne, you know Mo Salah, these kind of guys, um, who he kind of brought through, tried to prepare them for the first team. But if we focus on specific parts of what he did, like for example loans, I mean, what what did he do different with the loan system or the loan, I guess, strategy at Chelsea that kind of sets him apart?
1: Well. Uh, I... In my opinion, I don't know if he did anything different. I just think there was a commitment to it, right? Like there, there's nothing new under the sun, right? Especially when you're talking about football recruitment at that level, that high level. However, Emanello um, convinced. I think, and that that's probably the key. He convinced uh, Abramovich that, look, we we have such a high level of talent that uh, will will. Um, so to speak, die on the vine if we do not get them out into Europe and as many places as possible to see if they can play at at first-team level for Chelsea. They have to play first-team football. They can't continue to play against the reserve or against other 19-year-olds. They need to play against men in established leagues of caliber. And to me, it's more so a commitment and a discipline to it that – I mean, I think there's even Twitter accounts called Chelsea's Lone Army, uh, right? And, and that's, that speaks to the, the magnitude and the, um, let's call it the, the depth and talent that was was and is loaned out. And when you start to talk about a Lone Army, I mean, it can be used in a derogatory sense, um, just as far as not uh, championing talent internally. But then that's when I always step back and say, okay, but we outside the club, we we who talk about clubs, we who look at clubs, we even who support that club, we are not in that club, right? And as long as there's fit and alignment between ownership, board, director, whether it's sporting director, director of football, technical director, and first team manager, as long as there is a fit and alignment between the strategy to bring through talents, right? Let's just step back and call that pathways. As long as there is an alignment and a uh, cohesion between pathways and then first team expected results and what that looks like over and people are not going to like this timeline. 3 at least 3 to 5 years. It, it to me it, that's the only way that you can judge a director's um you know success or quote unquote failure over at least 3 plus seasons what have what have what have our objectives um, brought into the club? Yes, you're gonna get your one-offs. You're gonna get your, your your managers and directors who step into a club and turn around and they you know they get Champions League places or you know they win the league. Yeah, you're you're gonna get that. But at, at that high level where there's really less than ten clubs, and if I offend you and your club by saying this, you know I apologize somewhat. You know you have Chelsea. You have Liverpool, you have Man City, you have Arsenal, you have PSG, you have Bayern Munich, you have Barcelona, you have Real Madrid, right? The talent that's required at that level, you're, I mean, honestly, you're not going to be able to pull through just numbers. You're not going to be able to pull through first team talent on a somewhat regular basis um, to play at that high level in the league. And then, obviously, in Champions League or, depending on failure, uh, Europa Europa League, right? Now, to contrast that, uh, I mean, I'll be sharing a thread about actually another one, about FC Northland. And they debuted nine players, nine profiles a, a season from their youth setup. Nine. That's, I mean, that's, that's only two spots less than a starting, you know, uh, lineup, right? However, FC Northland is not on Chelsea's level as far as what they're competing for. That's no disrespect to FC Nordschillen. It's just a difference in perspective.
0: Interesting. Interesting. And with regards to Manello and, and actually more sporting directors, when I look at what he's, he obviously created an environment from an academy level and a player development level below the first team, which was in itself self-sustainable, right? Um, and, then the first, I mean, to go through 10 managers or be involved with 10 managers, when you look at it from the outside, you think, well, they're making mistakes all the time with you know, the hiring and firing managers, like, no, you know, but the youth setup underneath seems quite stable 30 players out on average every month on loan, making good sales. Would you regard his tenure as a success there? In terms of, I mean, how, what, what do you think? I mean, is that when I look at like KPIs or sporting directors or something like that? I mean, I'm just curious as to what you're seeing How does that work?
1: Oh man, you blindsided me with this question. Sorry, I don't... I
0: know I did. I know I did. It wasn't it wasn't in the list. I'm sorry, but it just, it, is just not contract. it just it it it, it, it wasn't <laughs> it just hit me so I thought, let, let me ask you.
1: Uh no, no, I love the question. Honestly, uh, I I'll answer the question but also qualify my answer as it being my opinion. I am biased. I prefer um, because of because of what I do in real life, um, as far as run a business, I prefer and I like uh, clubs or institutions, uh, organizations who develop their own because it is it is more, dare I say, cost friendly, but more so I, I know it's harder to stay committed to it. Forget about how much it costs. It's harder to stay committed to it. And it speaks to a broader and more uh, uh let's call it discipline, strategy, and vision. So with that being said, for me, I'm not a Chelsea supporter, never will be, whatever that means, uh, but I feel like what Emanelo was able to do um, in his tenure is just ridiculous. Obviously, and I say, I should say this every week, and this should be an asterisk for everything I say. It's not just him, right? It's not just Michael Emanello pulling on the strings, signing the contracts, Fine to Brazil, fine to you know Ghana. It's not not just him. Okay, he has a team underneath him. I think it's a a success by far, simply because what he was asked to do by Roman, what the first team was able to accomplish, because I I mean, we have this. It's human. It's not necessarily just a football thing. We have this. uh, I'm going to call it a flaw as humans, where our thinking is very binary. Oh well, Michael Aminello is only focused on the academy. He didn't. He was not instrumental in signing Eden Hazard or what have you. No, he has to do the whole thing. <laughs> he has to do the whole thing. He has to sign first team players. He has to recruit first team players. You know, he has to be able to uh, see if a profile has a um, let's just call it a tenure in the club in their setup. Is he loanable? You know, he has to do the whole job. So w- with those qualifiers, I think it's a success. But then, obviously, I'm I'm not Roman, <laughs> so uh, I know his I know Emanello's tenure at um, Chelsea ended because I believe it was Conte who was a, the manager. That mm, might be wrong. Uh, anyways, he he stepped away from the club because he was exhausted, and I think that that exhaustion speaks to. Uh, the level of magnitude, his 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 oversight into their recruitment and pathway development was at the club. If you look at the, the youth products that came through Chelsea in his tenure, yes, I understand some of them were there potentially prior to him being in that role, yes. Um, he still, uh, let's just call it, signed the, the bottom line to launch them forward um, in either the first team or to sell them on. If you look at that stable of players, it is eye watering. It is eye watering. Kevin De Bruyne is a generational talent. Uh, Moussa is a is a very good uh, striker. However, you know, at the end of the day, there's always going to be qualifiers as far as you know. Well, they could have they could have won more, uh, say, Champions Leagues or more domestic title. Okay, that's that's fine. That's always up for debate. However, I feel. What he was able to do at volume is maddening. Because the quality is there. But at volume
0: is 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 insane to me. Yeah, no, I mean it must I can only imagine what he must have felt when the manager told him that he didn't fancy Kevin De Bruyne or Mo Salah. But you know, it just you're like, excuse me, but I guess that's where you gotta look beyond club allegiances and things like that and I'm sure he's probably sitting back thinking, well, these two guys are have been, you know, two of the best in the Premier League, right? In Premier League history, right? And they probably started off under his, I would say, curriculum, right? Exactly what he was trying to do. So in that respect, success. Moving forward just a little bit now, I mean, his his remit obviously was pretty broad. Or actually, maybe he forced his remit. And, you know, maybe Robin came in and says, listen, I just want to win. Just make me win. Right, but he goes, yeah. You want to win now, but can we keep you winning in the future as well? Which is probably where the youth and everything comes in. Do you think the role that he had is different from what sporting directors do today? I mean, is it broader, narrower? You know, what what are you seeing from the research that you've done?
1: That's a great question. I I think I think it doesn't have to be. You know, when when we look at the clubs who see sustained success. They do the same boring, somewhat narrow things every single window, day in, day out, month in, month out. I mean, I know I talk around it a lot. Um, Yes, Real Madrid lost yesterday. Okay, whatever. Um, I I say that not as a fan or a supporter, but okay, whatever. Look at who they bring in and look at who they push out. First team, first team, just first team. Uh, What was it, two seasons ago, they told Sergio Ramos, hey, like, you know here's a contract, but, you know, you're not going to be, you're not going to be, you know, first name on the starting lineup every match day. And a player of Sergio Ramos's um, caliber and ego, I say ego respectfully in a humble way, his ego should not be happy with that at all. Should not, you know, and he moves on to Paris Saint-Germain. Yet they bring in obviously my timelines are not super uh tight on this but they bring in Endrick they they're looking for the next Vinicius they have Rodrigo Goes you know they, they, they i mean they have talent that is coming in and I understand those players aren't necessarily center Well, they're not definitely not center backs right however the sporting director role is very much about I'm going to call it intangibles um, yes, yes, you need to be able to spot a talent. You need to be able to see a pathway. However, one of the things that Emmonello talked about um, that it's easy for me to gloss over. it's easy for everybody to gloss over, is there's there's a level of diplomacy and social uh, intelligence that allows you to to cycle through managers and to cycle through player intermediaries and agents and family members and players themselves. To be able to get you to a point where you make the best, most contained decision with the information that you have. So I understand to a degree I'm not necessarily answering your, your question directly. you know. However, the, the sporting director does not, it, it, in my opinion, it doesn't need to change. There just needs to be a decided upon end goal, mission, if you will. And how are we going to align ourselves to that decision? Because the sporting director is—he cannot do it himself. There has to be current results. There has to be wins. There has to be wins. You know, there has to be advancement in league and um, uh, uh, Champions League or Europa League. You know, there has to be tro- uh, cup wins. There has to be that. Some clubs focus more, maybe not more, but they have a focus on selling players on and having profit because they need to be able to do that uh, depending on their situation. But the role doesn't have to be different. There just needs to be alignment. So it kind of goes back to your initial question. It really depends on the club. It really depends on the club. You know, uh, when, when we look at, uh, and I talk about them maybe too much, but when we look at uh, Sevilla and, and Monchi, the main reason, the main reason why they've had such a uh tumultuous season is because of ownership issues. People will say, well, that doesn't have anything to do with the players on the pitch. It has everything to do with the players on the pitch. One person cannot keep uh, grown men from punching each other in the boardroom and then keep a straight face and walk down to the changing room and say, guys, everything's okay. Just do what you do. It's impossible. And I can say that as a, as a former athlete myself, if there is dissension in the club at any level, it will touch the performance of the players. It has to. So the sporting director role, I think it's been more, I think there's been advancement and definitely in technology and tools and resources, but at the end of the day, um, you, you have to be, you have to be a people first savvy leader of, if not the mission attention, you have to be able to get the attention of the first team manager and the players. And then obviously probably most importantly, Ownership and the board to focus on the objective, because if you can't do that, that's when the wheels will fall off.
0: It brings us nicely on to today at Chelsea, I guess. Um, you know, with the takeover by Todd Bowley, the activity in in the in the transfer market, where let's be honest, you know, is disrupted, is distorted. People would, many people would say, you know, big fees, long contracts. You know, some some of the, the things and the structures that are now in place where you have co sporting directors, so two voices, probably more. With what you know, David, what are you seeing there? And are there embers of Emanello or are, are there things there of, you know, that some of the things that he has done which are still there? And I mean, I don't know. Tell us, what do you see?
1: Uh, another question. We talked about this prior, so I'm not as blindsided, but I'm fine <laughs> uh you're gonna you're gonna make me uh share some hot takes uh i mean in all fairness anytime there's change and every time every any if there's a takeover that group needs time i uh, i will never be an advocate of turning and burning leadership managers directors i just i don't it's not fair to the uh, the objective of the mission to move through talent at that speed whether it's six months a year 18 months that being said what I see this is me this is this is me trying to be objective but this is my opinion okay because um, I'm, I'm not in the club and I don't know more of the details anytime you have multiple eyes and multiple chairs before the first chair before the person who makes the decision you're going to have a confluence of opinions and and point of views that are always going to clash. You know, they're just they're always going to clash. Um, maybe not in a sense of you know, Cristiano Ronaldo's better than Messi. I mean, that's an obvious like exaggeration, but maybe it's more so to the line of, hey, we have two or three players in our youth setup that can fill that right back role. Well, who gets the final to say? Who has the final decision? Right. The beauty. And, you know, uh, w- one thing that I'll be remiss in saying is, I mean, I, a, a lot of the uh, the, the response on uh, Roman Abramovich and Michael Amanello on Twitter was most of it was favorable. But a lot of people were talking about bringing back Michael Amanello, which is great. Whatever. Um, hope, hopefully, hopefully he gets back into football if that's his desire. But a lot of the other conversation was about um, how Roman was better than uh, Todd and all. look. I will never get into that. However, Roman is not at the club for a reason, and I will leave it at that. That being said, when there's change in leadership, there needs to be time for that leadership leadership to implement their strategy. And the beauty in Michael Emanello and Roman Abramovich's, um, let's call it, working relationship is that it was one-to-one. It was one-to-one. Roman said, when? Michael said, this is how. Roman said, I don't like that. Michael said, let me show you how. I'm oversimplifying a 20-plus-year relationship very dramatically, right? But what I'm trying to drill home is that there was an alignment between the decision-maker and the implementer. And when I see a, um, a sporting director or a technical setup with three or four vastly capable recruitment minds, in one house who makes the final call there's nothing wrong with having three or four five or six seven or eight you know um, recruitment talented uh minded individuals in north american sports you see it all the time you see it in, in american football you see it in major league baseball you see it in uh basketball i mean there's guys that um just honestly they don't want the head chair they don't want to be the main person who's um you know answering the questions uh they don't. They don't want to be that person. But with Chelsea, if we if we link Emmanuel's tenure with let's just call it the new tenure with Todd Bowley, and I mean they've they've gotten a couple Red Bull guys. They've gotten uh, they've gotten talent without a doubt. However, who calls the shots? Who actually helps to solidify um, what is very? I don't know if they're a sleeping giant, but a very cranky giant. Like who who gets to um, make those final decisions. Um, some would say myself included, some would say that's Todd himself. Others would say the more smarter people would say oh, time will tell. So I, I, I think that the, the link between the, the recent past, you know, within, within what, six, seven years is very much, um, it's not going to be hard if they decide to, to reconnect to that model. Their, their use setup is just flabbergasting. I mean, it's flabbergasting, but to commit to it at the level that Emanello did takes a fortitude and a steel that I don't know if you can have, if there's four people there, because you're, you're going to have different points of view.
0: Yeah. It's going to be fascinating to see, to see how that plays out. Um, from 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 my business background, it, it definitely feels like a kill or be killed environment. <laughs> we'll, we'll we'll see what happens um, over time. But listen, they they obviously have players. They obviously have a new manager who's a developmental manager. So we'll see how that fits into it as well. And um and you know we're going to keep an eye on Emanello as well because you know his tenure at Chelsea was a success. It was pioneering in many ways. Um, from from various different angles, um, and has had, has had influences in the sporting director the world. So you know you you will definitely be hearing more about that. David, thank you so much. As always, I think we can wrap this up now today. Um, we've got some really exciting episodes coming up, some really interesting themes. You know, we're going to be looking in a bit at Brighton in you know in in the coming episodes, So please keep an eye out for that. Please subscribe um, to the podcast. You know, we really, really would value your feedback. You know, any opinions you have, any thoughts you have, good or bad, um, we can take it. So please let us know. I will put David's Twitter handle in the show notes. Please give him a follow. He's got some great threads, does loads of research, spends so much time. It's really, really interesting. Um, and as always, keep an eye out on our Get Football Media outlets where, you know, we cover European football, world football with news, videos, opinions from some of the most plugged in analysts across the football landscape. Um, i'll also add that link in our show notes as well and lastly just want to say have a good day and we'll hopefully see you on the next one